Good morning. All right, this morning, Reformation Sunday. Admittedly, um, I endeavored to actually look at all five solar solas. Admittedly, however, now that I'm A, employed again, and B, I'm sure you didn't want to sit here for two hours, um, we're going to do something a little different. I'm still doing that, but I'm going to focus more on the first, and I'm going to review the other three, and we're going to look at it scripturally as well. But today is going to serve a little bit of a history lesson of why the Reformation Um, And look at it in light of scripture, especially. And then the last one we'll look at, um, Solo Deo Gloria, we'll see that all those roll, that one spans all of them. And so we're going to do a little Bible flipping this morning. It's probably 15 years that I've periodically preached. um, And I can't remember the last time I ever did something other than exegetical preaching. Um, The very first time I ever preached in Santa Teresa, New Mexico, I did. Um, admittedly, I threw that sermon away about a year later when I read it again, and uh, it was absolutely the most atrocious thing I had ever spoken in front of anybody. So, uh, but you got to get the experience, right? Um, I'm going to start out though. R.C. Sproul has a really good article, and now I'm not quoting all of it, but I'm going to read some of it because it gives some of a good backdrop of the Reformation. Um, And so I picked parts out. So this first part that I'm reading comes from R.C. Sproul. I wouldn't want anybody to think that I'm that literarily gifted. But let's do this. Let's open in prayer first, and then we'll get started. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for some of these giants in the faith, Lord, that remain standing on the word, that had the courage to defend the truth, And Lord, the courage to ensure your word was in everyone's hand. And Lord, I just pray that we would walk away here this morning with a true understanding of the importance of remaining in the word and the authority of your word in our lives. Lord, I just thank you. Lift up uh, Pastor Keith to you, Lord, and, and Pastor George. Lift them up to you. Just pray that you would continue to heal them, strengthen them. In Jesus' name. Amen. As Ben already said, on October 31st, 1517, the 95 Thesis was nailed to the door of the cathedral in Wittenberg. And um, R.C. Sproul gives a little history of the Reformation, and so I'm going to pick these parts out. So I'm going to read some here. A cesspool of heresies. This was the judgment rendered by Holy Roman Emperor Charles V on May 26, 1521, shortly after Luther took a stand at the Diet of Worms. On May 4, 1521, Luther was kidnapped by friends and whisked off to Wartburg Castle, where he was kept secretly hidden, disguised as a knight. There, Luther immediately undertook the task of translating the Bible into the vernacular. Frequently, the Reformation is described as a movement that revolved around two pivotal issues. The so-called material cause was the debate over solo fide, justification by faith alone. The formal cause 
was the issue of sola scriptura, that the Bible and the Bible alone has the authority to bind the conscience of the believer. Church tradition was regarded with respect by the reformers, by the reformers, but not as a normative source of revelation. The protest of Protestantism went far beyond the issue of justification by faith alone, challenging many dogmas that emerged in Rome, especially during the Middle Ages. In a short time, the Reformation swept, I can't talk today, swept through Germany but did not stop there. Aided by the translation of the Bible in other nations, the reform swept to the Huguenots in France, to Scotland, England, Switzerland, Hungary, and Holland. Ulrich Zwingli led the Reformation movement in Switzerland, John Knox in Scotland, and John Calvin among the French Protestants. In 1534, Calvin delivered a speech calling the church to return to the pure gospel of the New Testament. His speech was burned, and Calvin fled Paris to Geneva. Disguised as a vine dresser, he escaped the city in a basket. During the next year, some two dozen Protestants were burned alive in France. This provoked Calvin to write his famous Institutes of the Christian Religion, which was addressed to the King of France. His thought contained in the Institutes developed into the dominant theology for the international expansion of the Reformation. Calvin's theology stressed the sovereignty of God in all of life. His chief passion was the reform of worship to a level of purity that would give no hint to or support of the human penchant for idolatry. Geneva attracted leaders from all over Europe who came there to observe the model and be instructed by Calvin himself. In the early 17th century, the Reformation spread to the New World with the arrival of the pilgrims and colonies of Puritans who brought Reformed theology and the Geneva Bible with them. Reformation theology dominated Protestant evangelicalism for decades but became diluted later under influences of Pietism and Finianism. By the end of the 20th century, Reformation theology declined dramatically in the Western world, being assaulted by 19th century liberal theology on the one hand and the influence of Arminian theology on the other. This was especially true in America. Fast forward to recent times. This is not Sproul anymore. Fast forward to recent times. A 2018 survey um, of theological beliefs sponsored by Ligonier Ministries, titled The 2018 State of Theology Study Found Among Adult Americans. Here's some facts from that. I just pulled some. 69% of Americans say God is perfect and cannot make a mistake. 69. That's a 31% remaining. Two-thirds believe the biblical accounts of the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus are completely accurate. 20% disagree. 14% are not sure. 50 
7% of Americans say Jesus Christ is the only person who never sinned. 29 disagree. 15% are not sure. In 2018, half of Americans say the Bible is 100% accurate in all that it teaches. What about the other half? 47% of Americans agree the Bible contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but it isn't literally true. The last writing included in the Christian Bible was completed nearly 2,000 years ago, said Steve McConnell, Lifeway Research Executive Director. Yet Americans' beliefs around this book are shifting more than most other theological beliefs. Interestingly, the survey is packaged in an article titled, Americans' Theology Contains a Mix of Heresy, Hearsay, and Historical Christian Beliefs. Your guess is as good as mine as what is meant by historical Christian beliefs. So on Reformation Sunday, what a better... What better reminder than to remain standing? To remain standing on the word, to learn from history, to take a look at history and see what the word of God has to say. And to look at the five solas. As I already mentioned, admittedly, I sat down to prepare. I've been working on this and I sat down because I work all week early yesterday morning to put pen to paper from all my notes, and I realized we're not getting through all five. My endeavor was, however, thwarted when I realized it cannot equitably address all five and keep it to an acceptable time allotment. So I outlined it to focus on what many call the formal cause of the Reformation, the doctrine that the Bible alone should bind man's conscience, conscience as it is the final authority in all things of faith and practice and provide more of a summary of the remaining. The idea is also that the fifth is the center of the others, solo deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. So let us start. Sola Scriptura. And when I say these, I have a hard time not saying it in Spanish. I didn't take Latin. Sola Scriptura. I kept doing that. No doubt the rising floodwaters, we'll call it tsunamis in some cases, of our decaying American culture are seeping through the doorways of our church. We live in a culture that justifies its sin and either ignores God's word in part or altogether, misinterprets it, or holds someone or something above its authority. Many churches have buckled to the pressure and stand and teach what is contrary to the word. At the very center of the Reformation was this tenet, sola scriptura. Looking back at the Great Reformation, the issue here was not regarding the Catholic Church's view of the inerrancy or inspiration of the scriptures, which they held to, supposedly. The church had placed tradition and papal authority above that of the word of God. The Pope was the final authority of matters of faith and practice. In fact, fast forward to the 19th century and you will find their doctrinal belief further cemented in the declaration regarding the infallibility of the Pope. Ex cathedra, 
from the chair. Meaning whatever he spoke ex cathedra stood on par with the word of God. It was the final authority. Looking at Luther's famous response at the Diet of Worms, which, by the way, I'll pause. There's an excellent movie out there we watched many, many, many years ago called Luther. Gives me chills every time. This is really the heart of his response in the center issue of the Great Reformation. I'm going to read that part. I cannot submit my faith either to the Pope or to the Council, because it is clear that they have fallen into error and even into inconsistency with themselves. If then I am not convinced by proof from Holy Scripture or by cogent reasons, if I am not satisfied by the very text I have cited, and if my judgment is not in this way brought into subjection to God's word, I neither can nor will I retract anything. For it cannot be either safe or honest for a Christian to speak against his conscience. Here I stand. I, can do, uh, I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. That gives me chills every single time. And I want to be sure I am not lifting Luther up to sainthood. But we have excellent examples of giants in the faith historically that we can learn from, that we can take a look at from his biblical view and take a look at those scriptures. I think we often forget and ignore history But one of the greatest things of history is we can learn lessons from it and not repeat it. But I will tell you, America is repeating it. Worse so in some regards. The scriptures teach us everything that we need to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ and to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. As Ben duly pointed out this morning, if you would turn to 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 17. I'm going to start back on 15, though. I love verse 15. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Reformation did not seek to fully discredit or rule out traditions per se within the church. Nor did Luther or the other reformers obviously imply that man-made documents or teachings have no place or value whatsoever. But all such things must and should be taken back to Scripture as the final authority of their worth and validity. The Scriptures are the final authority on all matters of faith and practice. In our verse this morning, we see all scripture is breathed out by God. I could have spent an hour in a sermon just on these verses right here, but I didn't. To begin, all of scripture, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, 
I'm not going to take the extensive time to show you how when this verse was written, what they had was the Old Testament and some minor writings in the New Testament. However, Scripture attests to itself. So for us, all Scripture, they weren't writing these thinking to themselves, these will be canonized in a book of 66 books. But they were inspired by God. And so we have all 66 books of Scripture. The canon is closed. The King James Version says, given by inspiration of God. I like the metaphor of breathed out by God. But no, we should not picture in our heads Paul, Matthew, Isaiah, sitting with their writing instruments, whatever they were in their papyrus, with an image of God blowing in their ear. But it is a good metaphor. It does have or provide us that metaphorical understanding of the doctrine. We should understand it that each author, accounting for their own literary styles, having written the original manuscripts, were inspired by the Holy Spirit in such a manner that we should understand the Bible to be the oracles of God. This was the basis of Luther's belief in sola scriptura, that the word of God was inspired by God, so therefore it held the authority of God. It was God's word. And because the Bible is the very word of God, it is to be the final authority in all things of faith and practice. All of Scripture is inspired by God. The Reformers were not saying Scripture is the sole authority. And what do I mean by this? Well, just consider the fact that we have authorities in our lives, right? The government, people at work, and they give us commands and demands to do this report, especially this week, or drive this speed limit. We don't find those in Scripture. What we do find is the idea that we should follow those authorities, And the final authority is scripture of whatever we are called to do or not to do, whether it is in accordance with the will of God. Quick illustration in one of the most obvious examples. For us here, one of the more obvious examples was during the pandemic. For a time, to be good, humble, Christ-like examples... We submitted to the authority of the government and refrained from meeting in in person. The elders agreed that for a time we could faithfully abide by his word and the government orders. But it became more obvious that with the extended time of the orders, taking it back to the final authority of scripture, that we would be forsaking fellowship. And we could not continue to abide by those orders. Scripture must be the final authority. Yes, we have traditions. We have traditions in this church. Congregational meetings, fellowship meals after service, uh, the Lord's Supper once a month, um, on the last Sunday of the month. These are all traditions. There's a place for traditions. The issue in the Reformation was the Roman Catholic Church made those normative and made those and held those up to the same level as the authority of Scripture. And Luther would not have it. 
Consider Acts 17, verses 10 to 17. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. I apologize, I'm not reading all the way to 17, it's 12. The noble Bereans... Willingly accepting the word of God and, in more, and more in that they search the scriptures to determine if these things were so. Specifically regarding Christ that they were hearing. If we truly recognize the authority of the word of God in our lives for all matters of faith and practice, would we not evaluate much more of our lives and light of scripture? Where did Luther's great conviction of the heirs of the Roman Catholic Church come from? Yes, certainly from the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit illuminated the word of God. Luther studied the word of God. And so, The Reformation was more than a doctrine about the Bible. It was sparked by a deep and serious study of the Bible. And it's not enough to extol the virtue of Scripture. We must hear the teaching of Scripture anew. It is only by a serious and earnest recovery of biblical truth that we will be able to avoid falling into a new cesspool of heresy. The Reformation certainly centered upon the church. But what about all the other areas in our lives? Recall that sola scriptura is about the scriptures being the final authority, profitable for teaching, reproof for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped for every good work, acts of charity, kindness of goodwill. And Wednesday nights, we're continuing in the Desiring God series, the Word of Truth. We're examining many aspects of daily life through the lens of Scripture. Ethics, education, technology, and most recently, communication, to name a few. The idea is that, yes, Scripture is our final authority in how we should perceive, use, or act in these areas of our lives. All such things should come under the submission of God's authority, and he expresses them in his word and by the Spirit. As just one example, take technology, and I don't mean just your cell phone. That's where our minds immediately go, cell phones, technology, right? But I mean any example of something that humans, because God created us in his image, did he not? And he created us to be creative creatures. 
And in his mercy and grace, we can apply that knowledge and have inventions that make the fall less difficult. Think of technologies, printing presses, all such things. Now, on Wednesday night, that Wednesday night, did we talk much about cell phones? Absolutely, we did. But the idea is this. Is God being glorified in how we create or use such things? Do we use them as the good as good works that we're called to or primarily to satisfy our fleshly desires? We should examine all of our lives in light of God's word. God's word has authority, final authority, and we have it. The Holy Holy Bible, inspired by God from the beginning to the end. And as Luther did, he examined the scriptures. He studied the scriptures. And when he saw something else being held up to a higher standard or an equal standard as the word of God, his response was, here I stand. Grudem says, um, in his systematic theology. The authority of Scripture means that all the words in Scripture are God's words in such a way that to believe or disobey any word of Scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. Moving on, and this is where we will hit with less, less focus. Sola Christus, Christus. Again, I'm struggling not to say it in Spanish. Solo Cristo. Christ alone. We should believe all that the scriptures tell us because it is the word of God. Christ is our only way to salvation. Again, looking back at the Reformation times, the Roman Catholic Church masked the true work of Christ unto our salvation, his atoning work, through their sacramental systems. Listen to the second of Luther's 95 Thesis. This is what he says, probably in more modern times, language. And the word penance neither can nor may be understood as referring to the sacrament of penance, that is, to confession and atonement as exercised under the priest's ministry. The problem then was not the person of Christ. The problem was the work of Christ. The debate centered on the sacramental system that Rome had constructed, a system in which the grace of Christ was mediated to the people through an elaborate system of priests and sacramental works. Through this sacramental system, the Roman church effectively controlled the Christian's life from birth to death, and even beyond masses for the dead. That is a quote from Keith Matheson, professor of systematic theology at the Reformed Bible Institute. We all know what scripture says. Turn to John fourteen six. 
I'm sure many of our youth may have this memorized. As soon as you see it, you'll know it. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Or we can consider 1 Timothy 2.5. And there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There were no saints mediating. The Roman Catholic Church had mediators between God and man. Luther knew the word. We should know the word. Or Hebrews 9.15. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the Roman, excuse me, under the first covenant. The Roman Catholic Church mediated out grace, as if they were the mediator of God's grace in Christ Jesus. It cannot be so. There is one mediator between man and God, and that is Christ Jesus. Everything that needed to be accomplished, Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. Once and for all. Once and for all. And there is but one mediator between man and God. This was part of the issue too. Yes, we're called to hear the preaching and the teaching of the word but they're not mediating Christ's grace out little by little or holding it back if you've misbehaved or you've not put your indulgence in, etc. The Roman Catholic Church mediated out that grace as if they were the mediator of God's grace in Christ Jesus. Solo fide, by faith alone. Justification by faith alone in Christ alone. As theologians call sola scriptura the formal cause of the Reformation, sola fide, justification by faith alone, has been coined or was the material cause. We could spend significant amount of time on this one, and justifiably so, no pun intended. When I wrote that out, I went, that's too many justifiables. It would be good to give time to the doctrine of justification. I, however, would point you to one of Pastor Keith's past sermons. I keep most of the notes, and I actually add his notes on justification. And so we could spend a lot of time. We'll instead have to summarize the issue of the Roman Catholic Church in Luther's time as turning justification into justification of works. The entire idea of indulgences, the need to buy souls out of purgatory, turns salvation into a matter 
of that which one's deeds earn him. Challenge you to do a search through the 95 Thesis and thank, thanks to technology, you can do a control F search. Those are fantastic. There's a good use of technology. But look through there and see how many times the word indulgences is used and what its context is. Indulgences turn salvation and justification into a matter of works. And consider Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 25. As you turn there, as I said, I wish I would have, but I had multiple weeks, I would have spread this out. But the older I get, I need a break every once in a while. And being new, newly employed, I don't have much time off. Romans 3, 21 to 25, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to, receive, to be received by faith. By faith. Justification by faith in Christ. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This was not what was going on in the 1500s. And Luther took a stand. This will take us to the fourth. Solo gratia. By grace alone. Taking a look back at the 95 Thesis, Article 33, not sure if he intended to be called Articles, but let's say the 33rd Thesis in the Theses. Beware well of those who say the Pope's pardons are that inestimable gift of God by which man is reconciled to God. Say it again. Be well aware of those who say the Pope's pardons are that inestimable gift of God. What is the gift of God? Faith is the gift of God, and it is by grace alone. The 33rd article of the 95 Thesis, along with the previous tenet, Faith Alone, help us see that between indulgences and the priests mediating out grace, the idea of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, had been turned into a matter of works. Again, citing Keith Matheson, although Pelagianism was condemned as a heresy at a number of councils, including the Third Ecumenical Council in 431, it has raised its head in various forms ever since. By the late medieval period, the Roman Catholic Church had fallen into a type of semi-Pelagianism. The justification of the sinner 
was seen as a kind of synergistic, cooperative work between God and the sinner. It is not a synergistic, cooperative work between us and God. It is entirely God's grace in God's grace alone. And we can think back to what I read earlier and the impacts of more Arminian thinking and theology in America, what that has done to it. That turns it into a synergistic, doesn't it? You lose sight of grace alone. It is a gift. Not that we merited it in any way. Luther would not have it, for he knew that it is to be by the grace of God that we are saved. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us, In Christ Jesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The idea is our faith is a gift, and it's all by the grace of God. It is not a synergistic working together with God to earn something. I've heard Pastor Keith preach many times that he struggled early in his Christian walk because of works. As soon as we start thinking and evaluating whether we're worthy enough or not, we're doing the right things our faith will struggle. And if anybody were to stand to you and teach you that for your salvation you must do something, you must work, you must do these deeds, your good works, that's what's holding on to your salvation. We won't get into perseverance of the saints, but the idea isn't that we've earned it in any way, shape, or form, or that there's a work associated with it. It is by grace alone. Our faith is a gift. And Luther would have no other, so there he stood. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that moves us to solo Deo Gloria. Article 62 of the 95 Thesis. I found it quite fun digging through those, by the way, using control F. The right and true treasure of the church is the most holy gospel of the glory 
and grace of God. This was Luther's argument. Remember, he pinned those up and challenged anybody to debate him on those matters. The right and the true treasure of the church is the most holy gospel of the glory and grace of God. The church and the priests, the pope, had become the glory of the church. And although a brief summary of the Roman Catholic Church during Luther's time, I think we can see how they robbed God of his glory through discredit of justification and faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. Just the mere idea that they masked the works of Jesus Christ in our, in, in, in our atonement is to rob God of his glory. And that's exactly what they did. Solo Deo glory is not precisely parallel to the other four solas because in one sense, it is both the beginning and the end of the other four. The Holy Spirit inspired the scriptures to the glory of God alone. Christ humbled himself to the point of death and raised and exalted to the right hand of the Father to the glory of God alone. Grace and mercy are offered to rebellious sinners to the glory of God alone. Justification is by faith alone to the glory of God alone. Solo Deo Gloria, therefore, is central. And as I taught on Wednesday night, this is how we wrapped up, I think, the section on technology, as a matter of fact. 1 Corinthians 10.31, if there's any doubt. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Certainly in the Roman Catholic Church during Luther's time, it was not being done to the glory of God. God's glory was robbed through indulgences, through the lifting up of the priesthood to the same authority as the word of God. And so, as these rising tsunamis of our culture, picture and metaphor, we've got sandbags lining around the church and the waters are rising. Many churches have removed the sandbags, flooded the doors open, and the culture has done exactly what it did in Roman Catholic times in the 1500s. Culture has caused us to move away from God's word. I'm not lifting Luther up. I have great respect for him. In fact, I'm almost self-shamed in the fact that I questioned whether or not I was stood there and said, here I stand, I can do no more. Knowing what was potentially at stake, his very life. But we have an opportunity to walk away from a historical lesson in the scriptures and tell ourselves, here I stand. To remain standing, to learn from the historical mistakes, to remain standing on the word of God is our final authority on all things faith and practice. To get better at 
looking at all the things we do and the decisions we make through the lens of Scripture. Is God glorified in this decision or in this action? Is what I'm doing glorifying God? Is what I'm doing submitting to God's final authority? We must remain steadfast in our elevation of God's holy word as our final authority in all standards of faith and practice. We must never lose sight of the fact that our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and through the word. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. We do not elevate it because we worship the Bible. We elevate it because that is how God speaks to us. Through his word and through the spirit. We elevate it because of the authority it has in our lives. We should study his word. God speaks through his word. Through the Holy Spirit. And how does he speak to us if we've not gone to his word? It certainly wasn't in a mystical dream like they did the prophets in the Old Testament. If you have not gone to the word, how does he speak to us? But we must do it to recognize error and false teaching. The enemy is crafty. And he will take what looks on its surface to be correct and twist it slightly. It's like anything else. Temptation creeps in and it grows and it grows. He's crafty, and he will grow these false doctrines little by little. It's almost like watching your kids grow up. One day they're born, and the next minute you go, when did they get so big? Other people may notice it, but under our own eyes, it's so gradual. We don't notice it. We must commit to study and reading of the scriptures because that is where Christ is revealed to us. Lastly, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Amen.